0: Welcome to the Vanguard tri Podcast, where our goal is to help you to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're about to hear a sermon from one of our weekend services in Monument, Colorado. We pray that your faith is provoked, your mind is renewed, and your heart is awakened as you engage the Word of God. Stay tuned after the sermon for ways you can stay connected with us. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're here with us at Vanguard Tri-Lakes. I'm Richie Fike. I am your pastor, and I'm happy to be that. Um, I, I put on this shirt this morning, and you know you've been married for longer than 20 years. 20 years ago, if I would have wore this shirt, I think Dana would have said, wow. You know? This morning, she said, wow. I said, oh, okay. That's, that's where we're at? Okay. So anyway, spring, springtime. Springtime is here in Colorado. Are you excited about springtime? Yes. Come on, thank you for being faithful to come to church when it's so beautiful outside. Uh, you made a decision today, and I am very grateful that you did. So glad you're with us today. But, uh, so I'm so pumped that Chico and Joy are here. My friends Chico and Joy, I've known Chico for 20-plus years. Chico, do you remember the time? We talk all the time. Everybody kind of thinks that I am like this super hyper-competitive person, right? That, and it's because I am. Well, okay. How about this? Everybody knows that i 'm hyper competitive, but there 's someone in my family that 's more competitive than me, and that is Miss Dana Fike now um, now now, except for this one night i 've never seen this ever, ever. But this one night, we were playing Monopoly. Now, how many of you know that some of the worst and some of the best comes out of us when you play Monopoly, right? Come on, you can be cutthroat. You can just go right for people's soul in Monopoly, right? Well, this was probably like maybe a year into marriage. We're playing Monopoly over at Chico's house. And I like to take a lot of risks in Monopoly. I like to buy a lot of property. I like to, you know, just go for it, you know? And Dana, Dana's more kind of, she, she just kind of plots, and she just kind of gets her little monopolies and just destroys you over a long term. So Dana, uh, she had uh, hotels on Marvin Gardens, okay? And you, now, if you look there, on, if you have Marvin Gardens, you have a hotel, that's $1,200. You Come on, that's a lot of money. I had $11, uh, and I landed on Marvin Gardens, and it was time for me to be done. Like, this was the last move. I'm going bankrupt. Dana says, it's okay, baby. You don't have to pay this time. And Chico said, yes, he does. That's the way the rules work. He's going to lose fair and square, right? So anyway, I think that 20 years later, if we were playing Monopoly, she would say, all right, too bad for you. You lose, sucker. Like, I really think that's how it would go down. Um, we're going to be talking today uh, about the story in Matthew where Jesus talks to the rich young ruler. Um, by the way, he was not a rapper. I know that some of you guys that listen to hip-hop, there's a lot of young rappers. Like There's a guy named Rich Homie Quan. Right there's like there's a lot of young this young thug young this so but this guy is rich young ruler he's not a rapper he actually was a rich young ruler and I thought about this clip I want to show you this clip from Wall Street just to kind of set the tone for the kind of spirit and attitude that we're up against as we go into this passage watch this
0: what's your number sorry oh we'd start you at three hundred like everybody else I mean as a partner I only pull in six hundred and the bonus is no no no. Your number, the amount of money you would need to just walk away from it and live. See, I find that everybody has a number, and it's usually an exact
1: number, so what is yours? More. More. What's your number? More. More. That's kind of the culture that we live in. And maybe, just maybe, if you were honest with yourself, there's a part of you that feels that way, that you go, my job on earth is to get as many hotels on Marvin Gardens <laughs> as possible, right? More, more, more. And that's the culture that, that Jesus is going to push against today as he talks to this guy, the rich young ruler. Um, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and there's a phrase later in the, ser- later in the sermon, I'm going to show it to you in the message translation. Uh, he calls this the great reversal. Jesus was so good at taking someone's questions, piercing through the intention of the question, and then flipping it on its ear. In modern times, we would call it rejecting the premise of a question. Politicians are great at this. You ask them a question about, you know, health care, and they pivot. To something else, right? This is what they do. They reject the premise of the question and then they just give you the answer they want to give. What Jesus would do is he would pierce through the question and then he would have you really take a look at what's really going on in your heart. So that's where we are today. Matthew 19. If you have a Bible, open up. If you have a device, fire it up. Or if you have eyeballs, just look up here on the screen. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 16. It says this And behold, a man came up to him, Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's a really good question, isn't it? What, What can I do to get eternal life? What can I do? What can I achieve? What can I accomplish so that you will give me eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, Keep the commandments. Now, again, this is Jesus rejecting the premise of the question. He's rejecting our questions, our perspective, our pursuits, because he knows that they're flawed. And he also knows that the questions that we ask reveal our values. Have you ever been to lunch with someone? This makes me crazy. Have you ever been to lunch with someone who asks you absolutely zero questions? right you sit across from them and you say, tell me about your family they tell you about their family and you're waiting for them to say tell me about your family they don't uh right you say well so how's life they tell you about how's life you're waiting for them to say how's your life they don't right so sometimes the questions we don't ask also reveal a lot about who we are right but the questions we ask reveal our values and so this guy says what good deeds must i do to have eternal life And Jesus flips the question on its ear. Did you notice what he said? He said, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. So I'm gonna give you some of these points today. Here's the first one. Good is not a deed, it's a person. Good is not a deed, it's a person. So what he's saying is, it's not about what you do. Just like in the rest of life, it's about who you know, right? Have you ever heard that before? It's all about who you know, right? This is the same thing. Who do you know? Do you know Jesus? There is only one who is good, and his name is Jesus. We get so fixated on trying to do all the right things, and Jesus is saying it's not about doing the right things, it's about knowing the right person. Does that make sense? So, um, I love to ask this question. I love it. When I meet somebody who doesn't know the Lord, I've got a friend who I play tennis with every Monday night. Um, and he actually listens to this podcast. Uh, so, so, Mike, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. Um, and and I, I asked him a question a couple weeks ago. I asked him this question. I said, Mike, if you were standing at the gates of heaven, and they asked you, why should we let you in? I don't know where we got this picture that Peter is standing at the gates of heaven. Have <laughs> you ever noticed it? If they're standing at the gates of heaven, and Peter asks you, what's Peter doing there? Like, how? <laughs> How, where did this happen in our mindset? We're like, no, no, that's Peter's job. He's in heaven making sure people get in or don't. No, that's not how it works. But anyway, um, <laughs> Peter's asking you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And Mike's answer was, well, you know, I, I, I ran a 5K for a charity last year. This is, this is his answer. I ran a 5K for a charity last year. I tried to do good things. I'm a good man. I, I provide for my family. I've been a good person. I feel like that should get me in right? How many of you people would say that you know someone who feels that way, right? Of course, this is the prevailing attitude of our culture. This is what the rich young ruler thinks. Okay, look, I know I've got to be good, but how good? I know I've got to be good, but what kind of good? I want to go to heaven. I want to have eternal life. There's this, I know there's something after this. I want to go there. How do I get there? And Jesus says, well, it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. Amen. It's really, really powerful. Good is not a deed. It's a person. So here's the deal. If you're following Jesus, then your life is going to reflect it. I know a lot of us on the front end of Christianity, when you first say yes to Jesus, you go, okay, I'm willing to believe that I'm sinful. I'm willing to believe it. It's true. My mom and dad tell me every day, right? (laughs) Like, I know I'm sinful. I get it. I'm willing to believe I need help. I understand that. Um, But I'm not sure I want to do all the things the Bible says I have to do. I'm not sure I want to live up to all the do's and don'ts, right? I just want to kind of be right with God and then figure it out myself. And it just doesn't work that way. But here's what's cool. If you decide to follow Jesus, if you decide to read the Bible, to pray, to be around other Christians, if you're following Jesus with your life, your life's going to reflect it. If you're following Jesus, good is going to blossom all around you. If you're following Jesus, you won't have to think about checking all the boxes and doing all the right things. Jesus isn't going to lead you into sin, right? Jesus isn't going to lead you into harm. He's only going to lead you into good. And so if you follow Jesus, good things are coming. That's why Jesus is saying, it's not about what you do. It's about who you follow. That's the point. Good is not a deed. It's a person. You with me? Amen? Let's keep reading. He said, this was the end of it. He said, if you would enter life... Keep the commandments. Okay, this guy says, Great. Which ones? And Jesus said, Okay, here's a list. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You will honor your father and mother. Teenagers in the room, come on. Um, you will honor your father and your mother. Uh, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. You will love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm going to give you the point, that we'll unpack it. Love is not an action, it's a commitment. Love is not an action. I know DC Talk had a song called Love is a Verb 100 years ago, right? And they're right. We're, we are supposed to love as a verb. And I know very often, husbands and wives, your, your husband will say to you, I love you, and you will say, show me. Like, I get it. Like, I understand. <laughs> right? I understand that, right? But love, love, love is not just an action. It's a commitment. When you stand on that altar, husbands and wives... You look in each other's eyes and you say, I vow to love, honor, and respect you, right? Come on, we all said it. I will love you for the rest of my life. Now, when we're getting married, we don't know what that means. We don't understand that there's going to be a day when I hate you, like, <laughs> like desperately hate you, and I'm supposed to now love you. So then it's not about your feelings, it's not about uh, your actions. It's, it's, it's about your decision. I'm going to be with you. I'm committed to you. Love is a commitment. It's not an action. And Jesus is saying, look, let's talk about love for a second. Because you know who we're really good at loving? Ourselves. We're really, really good at loving ourselves. Dana says that my love language is Amazon. Uh, because uh, there are gifts that come to the door all the time. I just love myself, right? Right? We're really, really good at loving ourselves. But are you good at loving someone else the way you love yourself? You wouldn't murder yourself. You wouldn't steal from yourself. You wouldn't cheat on yourself. You wouldn't lie to yourself. But what if you looked out for your neighbor the same way that you look out for yourself you're looking at all the angles for yourself aren't you you're thinking about okay i want to be here then i want to make sure nobody does anything bad to me here you're you're constantly thinking about yourself and and making sure that you're caring for yourself some of you think to yourself yeah because nobody else will right But what if you treated other people the way you want to be treated? What if you loved other people the way that you would love to be loved? Amen? Love is not an action. It's a commitment. This is the golden rule, by the way, Matthew 7. Do you know the golden rule? So whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The idea here is treat people the way that you would want to be treated, right? And really think about how would you want to be treated. Some of y'all really would like to be pampered, right? Great. Yeah. Well, then pamper somebody, what? right? That's right. That's right. You were with me until then, right? Wait, what? Hold, hold on. Time out, right? No, but that's it. And this is the deal. Just like if you follow God, goods coming your way. If you follow God, love is going to be a big part of your life. Love comes from love, and God is love. Isn't it awesome that God defines himself? He says, it says, God is love. If you want to understand love, understand God. And so if you follow God, then love is going to come pouring out of you. Good is not a deed, it's a person. Love is not a verb, it's a person. Jesus, love is not a commitment. Or sorry, love is not an action, it's a commitment. All right, keep reading. Verse, uh, verse 20. The young man said to him, how haughty is this? The young man said to him, all these I've kept. I check, I've done all of that. I have loved all of my neighbors as I love myself. Never murdered, never cheated, honor mother and father. And Jesus says, Oh, okay. So you're perfect. All right. So he says, what do I still like? Jesus said to him, okay, well, if you would be perfect, then go and sell. Everybody say, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sell <laughs> Sell what you possess. You said it. I appreciate it. And give to the poor. And you, will tre- and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Go sell everything and come follow me. Verse 22. How do you think he responded? When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I want to I read for you the message translation of this because I love the way Eugene Peterson wrote this. Look at this. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? Jesus says, if you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions. Give everything to the poor. All your wealth then will be in heaven. Then come and follow me. And I love it. It says that was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so this is a great word. Crestfallen, He walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things. And he couldn't bear to let go. So let me just ask you a question. And you can squirm a little bit. Is that you? Are you holding on tight to your stuff? Are you holding on tight to your plans for your life, to your dreams? Are you holding on tight to stuff in your heart that the Lord's saying, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just surrender, I can do a lot with your little, right? Are you holding on tight? If you're looking for a way to make God accept you, then you're asking the wrong question. This is the thing. This guy is coming up to Jesus. He's heard good things about this rabbi that's changing the world. This, by the way, is all the way into Matthew 19. A lot has happened. He's heard a lot about this guy. And Jesus Jesus says, okay, I'm glad you're asking these questions, but I've really got to penetrate into why you're asking them. This guy is a rich, young ruler. A lot of money, a lot of life ahead of him right? And he's in charge. I feel like, um, remember Coffee Talk? Remember Coffee Talk on Saturday Night Live where she said, um, the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Discuss. I am neither rich nor young nor a ruler, right? So I can't relate to him, and maybe you feel that way. But this guy is powerful. He's got money, and he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I take some of this power with me into eternity? It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And what I love about Jesus is he's he's teaching us something that we need to know. And that is this, salvation is not a destination. It's a process. Salvation is not a destination. It's a process. Wouldn't it be awesome if the moment that you said, okay, so I'm a sinner, check, I understand that. Jesus never sinned, check, I understand that. He died for my sin, check, I understand that. If I accept what he gave, what he gave to me, the mercy of Jesus, then I get to go to heaven, check. And then right then we all just teleported into heaven. Wouldn't that be amazing? No more trouble, no more drama, no more tension, no more sin, no more struggle. It'd be amazing. Or you could think about it this way, that Jesus saved you so that you could be a part of what he's doing on the earth you could be a part of what he's doing right here in the Tri-Lakes area, that you could participate in the kingdom of God. I think the greatest gift Jesus ever gave us was salvation, no question. But the second greatest gift is that we get to be a part of what he's doing. This great, big, holy, powerful God is gonna use little, silly me to be a part of his kingdom. What a kindness. That's salvation. Now, in the Bible, there are three tenses of salvation, okay? They're saved, there's being saved and then there's will be saved, okay? So I wanna just unpack that for a second so you understand the process. Saved is the moment you confess Jesus as your savior. When you say, Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus says, amen, I save you, you're saved. If you were to die, anytime in the next 12 seconds, you'd go to heaven, right? Or for the rest of your life, you'll be in heaven. Now, that's salvation. The whole rest of your life is sanctification. That's when you're being saved. The process of that is you learning what it means to follow Jesus. Because it's great that he's your savior. It's really hard for him to be your Lord. Amen? Come on, believers. Like, it's really easy to be saved. All you got to do is say, I need help. It's really hard to follow Jesus. It's really hard. That's why they say that the, the gate is narrow and few get through it, right? And so if you're following Jesus, then you're a part of that that few. You're not a part of the plenty. And so you're being saved. The Lord's working things out in you. He's helping you to see yourself as you really are. He's helping you to see him as he really is. He's helping you to understand the Bible, to understand how to communicate with him and how to participate in the building of the kingdom of God. That's being saved. And then one day... When it's all said and done, whether it's an asteroid and, you know, Bruce Willis doesn't get the drill to go through it, right? Like something like that, or there's a zombie apocalypse, who knows? Whatever's going to happen, uh, at the end of it all, we will all die. Everyone in this room is going to die, even you teenagers. I know you think you're infinite. You're going to die, okay? And one day, you'll stand in front of Peter. No, you, you really will <laughs> One day, one day when you die... You will, you will either have lived your life walking with Jesus and therefore you will be in paradise forever with him or you won't. It's just that simple. So you're saved, you're being saved, you will be saved. You got it? It's a process. It's a process. Now the rich young ruler was an accumulator. He was the kind of person that was constantly building wealth. He's our guy in the video. What's your number? More. More that's our guy. And even as he's approaching this conversation with Jesus, he's thinking of it transactionally. He's thinking of it like, okay, so what do I got to do to get you to give me what I want, right? I want salvation. What do I have to do to get it? Jesus is like, man, you don't understand. It's not about transaction. It's about transformation, right? Mm It's about entering into a relationship with me, knowing me, letting me know you, letting me into those secret parts of your heart that you don't tell anybody about and letting me be in charge of that, letting me f- lead you through a process. That's what it's all about. It's about surrender. It's about surrender. So the guy walks away, he's crestfallen, and now Jesus takes a moment and he says, all right, cuddle up, you 12, the disciples. Let me talk about this with you. This is an important moment. V- verse 23, verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I didn't bring a camel and I didn't bring a needle, but I think you get the picture, right? Super hard to get a camel through uh, the, the eye of a needle. Verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? And I think that question reveals a lot about our guys' hearts, the disciples' hearts. In their minds, success, must, success on earth must mean success in eternity. Well, If these rich people who have it all, this rich young ruler, he's got everything. He's got youth, vitality, money, and power. How can he not make it to heaven, Right? It's a good question. Verse 26, Jesus says this. He looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter, it's always Peter, right? Mm -hmm. Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. We have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? I think that question's a little gross. Just so you know, as I read it, I see it as a little self-important. I see it as a little bit haughty. I see it as a little like, bro, like you should have thought before you said that to Jesus, right? <laughs> Verse 28, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on, the, on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is why I tell you, Peter's not at the gate. He's sitting on a throne with Jesus. That's the picture. Now. Let's talk about us verse 29. And everyone that's us who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive 100-fold and will inherit eternal life. I'm going to give you the point then let's unpack it. The gospel's not about morality. It's about life. Have you heard this quote? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is not about bad people turning into good people. It's about dead people coming to life, right? You know that song, you called my name and I ran out of that grave, right? That's the idea is that we were dead in our sin. We were dead. We were zombies, and God brought us to life because of what he did for us on the cross. It's not about bad people and good people. It's about dead people and living people. And once you accept Jesus as your savior, you're saved. You are now alive in Christ. That is the message of the gospel. You know, the number one thing that people complain about with Christianity is hypocrites. Right? Oh, they're just hypocrites. That's because some of us tend to believe that Christianity is about good and bad that it's about morality or immorality. It's not about that. It's about alive. And if you're alive and you're following Jesus, then good and love and grace and kindness and mercy is gonna spring from your life, amen? That's the idea. Now, I wanna talk about this whole money thing because this is a little bit dicey. Some of you guys in the room have some money. Praise God, that's awesome. I heard a preacher once say, Make as much money as you possibly can on the earth. Go for it. It's not about the money. It's about what you do with it, right? The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. People will say that. They will misquote the Bible, right? I want to do a sermon series at some point called, That's Not What I Said, right? (laughs) That's, that's not what I said. I want to do a whole sermon series about the way that we, that we just totally misinterpret the Bible. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. We're going to study next week as Jesus talks about um, anxiety. We're going to talk about anxiety in a deep way next week. One of the things he says is, a man cannot love two masters, right? You can't love God and money. Because you're going to love the one or hate the other. It's just how it works. So it's not about money, it's about the love of money. Jesus didn't say it's impossible for rich people to make it into heaven. He said it's really, really hard. But with God, nothing is impossible. The reason it's really hard is because people with great resources tend to believe that their value is measured by what they have to offer. Think about that thought. If you have a lot, then you think you have a lot to offer. So, how can you come before a holy God when you have much and think that you have little? Does that make sense? And people with very little resources don't struggle to believe that they have very little to offer God. People who are down on their luck or downtrodden or no money, homeless, whatever, they have no trouble saying, I need help. I need God. But people that have a lot tend to think, I'm all right, I'm all set the great uh, Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, uh, on his deathbed, when they found him dead in his home, he had a little note in his pocket. And the note simply said this, we are all beggars, this is true. That was the whole note. We are all beggars, this is true. The gospel's not about morality, it's about life. Now my favorite uh, passage of scripture in the entire bible is galatians 5 16 it's my life verse i don't have any tattoos because i'm afraid of them but if i ever had one this is what my tattoo would say it would say live by the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh i love this verse because it allows me to understand that my flesh is very much alive and kicking my flesh is a real component of my life Just because I accepted Christ, just because I said yes to Jesus, just because I've decided I want to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that I don't have days where sin is knocking at the door, right? It doesn't mean that I don't have days where I'm like, you know what, God, I just want to do my own thing today. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I don't have moments or days where I am just out on my own on the prairie living for self, okay? Can I just be real with you? Every week we say the same thing in the sending, and I need to say it i am broken and mending and called by the lord i'm all of it and so are you right galatians 5 16 tells us that if we will live by the spirit then good's gonna come right good works will always be the result of connection to the lord and evil works will always be evidence in the contrary you look up and say how did i get here well you stopped following the holy spirit You stopped listening to his voice. You stopped trusting his leadership in your life and you started deciding that you know best, right? Life with Jesus is not about behavior modification. Somebody write that down, remember it, because I think this is one of the reasons why we are experiencing deconstructionalism in Christianity. We have taught people for years and years that in order to be a good Christian, you have to fix yourself You have to change yourself. You have to decide to be different. And I think that the message of the gospel is, if you will enter into a relationship with Jesus, he'll do all that work for you. Amen? And I think that we get so caught up in the things that we don't do well or the sins that beset us that we try to put on these fake uh, pictures of who we, we think everybody else wants us to be And then we just pretend and we don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We have this fake facade and all of it is just so that nobody else will judge us. That is terrible. And that's what churchianity has become. We got to get rid of it. I totally agree with the idea that we've got to get rid of it. And I just want to preach against it. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about assimilation. It's about life and living your life following Jesus. Amen. Okay, last one. this this is probably the hardest one for some of us. Verse 30, Jesus says this, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. You guys heard this phrase, upside down kingdom? You ever heard this before? The idea is that Jesus just turns everything upside down, right? Everything that we think, all the values that we live by, Jesus goes, yeah, let me show you how you're wrong, right? And flips it on its ear. I mean, the idea here is that we are, all of us, Martin Luther had it right, we are beggars. This is true. I like the word butler. We are butlers. Tell the person next to you, you're a butler. Come on, you're a butler. Anybody here... (laughs) Is there anybody here who would say, I, I have had a butler in my life? Anybody ever had a butler? You've never had a butler. I thought this was the absolute weirdest flex in the history of like sitcoms when um, Philip Banks had a butler on the Fresh Prince of, of Bel-Air. You know, like this idea, and by the way, I think it was an intentional thing that they were trying to show wealth in America is not confined to white people, right? They were trying to communicate, no, we're a black family and we have a butler. It was this beautiful thing, right? It was kind of beautiful if you really think about what they were trying to deconstruct there. But can you imagine having someone in your house whose designated job is to serve your every need? Moms, can you imagine that, right? (laughs) Right? Right? He's like, yes, it's called a teenager. That's the job. Right? But the, can you just imagine having a... Well, she said it's called a dad. Whoa. All right. All right. What Jesus is trying to tell us is that Philip Banks, in the kingdom of heaven, the father on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, will be last, and Jeffrey will be first. Do you get it? Do you see that? Success is not being served. It's serving. Success is not being served, it's serving. This week, I got flown out to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. A friend of mine is a worship pastor there and he's writing for uh, a worship record and he invited four or five writers to come out. And when we got there on Thursday morning, we're gonna write songs for a couple days. He goes, guys, I've been so excited and I've kept this secret from you this whole time. He said, tonight, I bought us tickets to Coldplay. And I was like, What? He goes, yeah, we're going to Coldplay tonight. I go, what? And so he bought us all tickets to Coldplay, and he served us and brought us to this thing. It was incredible, and uh, you know, it's just little things like that, ways to serve people. Um, this is going to sound like a like a flex. It's not. This morning, I was driving here. Um, at like 7.45 to come help the guys serve. And I was driving by right across the street. Roots Church is having church right over there. Uh, my friend is the pastor over there. And I saw a bunch of people putting stuff, you know, bringing it into a building. And I said, I think we've got enough people at Tri-Lakes this morning helping. I'm going to go help them. And so I just pulled into their parking lot and started gathering some boxes. And then I got back in my car. Nobody knew who I was. They probably thought, who was that flower angel man? You know? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> who is that springtime angel um, but but I'm saying right like, Can can we look for ways to serve each other, right? Can we look for ways and not, and I even feel bad about saying that because it wasn't about getting, they don't even know it was me. I never went and talked to them. Uh, You know, I'm telling you, so don't tell them. Uh, You know, the point is look for ways to serve each other. Look for ways to serve your sister, your brother. Look for ways to serve your mom and your dad. Come on, teenagers, love on them. They're tired, all right? Uh, Be nice to them. Now, I told you I was gonna show you where we got this idea of the great reversal from. I'll do this, and then we'll close. This is, um, this is the message translation of Matthew 19, 29 through 30. I love this. He says, anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, whatever, because of me, will get it all back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He says, this is the great reversal many of the first ending up last and the last first, the great reversal. So I think I told you this a couple weeks ago, but Justice, entire life, when I would drop him off at school, I would, I would talk to him the whole way and then right before he got out of the car, I would say, hey, Justice, be a leader. Be a leader. And one day, Judah was with us in the car and he heard me say that and he said, why you tell Bro Bro to be a leader? And I said, well judah let's talk about what a leader is what's a leader and he said somebody that's in charge and i said no well, i mean yes uh, but i said just judah there's a difference between a boss and a leader right a boss is somebody who has authority who's in charge a leader is someone who's serving the people under their purview right we say this every week we say uh i'm a leader and a i'll pray and i'll love we say it in the sending right so when, I, when, I, when you say the word leader from now on, I would love for you to think in your mind, I'm gonna out-serve everybody in my world. I'm gonna find a way to serve everyone in my world. I am a leader, which means I serve the people that are in my purview, amen? Those of us that sought after power, prestige, and position on earth are gonna be humbled in heaven. The message of this passage is not that rich people are bad, okay? Rich people are not bad. The message is that none of us can earn our way to salvation. Somebody say amen. Amen. I think that's a really good thing. Because can you imagine if we had to spend our whole life working for it? If you had to spend your whole life trying to be better than the next guy just so you could get to heaven? That's not what it's about. Your salvation is not about your morality. It's about your willingness to follow a Savior who gave it all for you. That's the great reversal. That's the great reversal. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, if there's anyone here today who has never accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, who has never said, you know what? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I pray that today would be the day that they would do it. I pray that uh, instead of worrying about all the things that might come down the road, instead of uh, fighting with you about what you say is good or what you say is bad, that they would just trust that you are good and that you have a plan for their life. Lord, for each of us, as we wrestle with our salvation, as we're, most of us in this room are in that middle section, That that section of sanctification, that section of learning how to follow you and trust you, learning how to give our lives to you day after day after day, learning how to live out Galatians 5.16, learning to walk by the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Most of us are in that category. And we ask you, God, that you would help us even further to trust you, Give us Christian brothers and sisters around us that we can lean on, that we can talk to, that we can be in relationship with so that we can learn how to follow you in a real way. God, I thank you for this, this message. I thank you for this rich young ruler. Sometimes people ask questions uh, that other, peoples are, other people are afraid to ask. He asked a really good question. What must I do to get into heaven? And I think you gave us a really good answer. The answer is Jesus. So Lord, I pray for every person in this room that they would lean on that answer today. They would trust in that answer today. That they would follow you with all that they are. It's in that name that we pray and we all say, amen.
0: We hope that today's message truly encouraged you to fight for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to hear from you. Please send an email to tlpod at vanguardchurch.org. We'd love to know how we can pray for you and hear your stories about how this podcast has impacted your life. If you'd like to give financially to our ministry, just text the amount you'd like to give to the number 84321. You can find Vanguard Tri-Lakes on all social media platforms, and we hope that you'll give us a follow. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you beyond imagination.